Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bared in the absurd. Hold on to your frickin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Let's do it. Glad to have you joining me one more time from around the world. Literally, still fascinates me. I hope it never stops being something that's truly magical to me, that I get to sit here in my studio, my humble abode, the Aurora Media Productions highly vaunted and respected award-winning studios, and talk to the world. Not something I ever thought I'd be doing on a Saturday morning back when I was mm, 10 years old, but it is pretty cool. Um, Yesterday, I got the author's proof for the book I've been working on for a year. It's been a year, August 6th, tomorrow, is when I first started writing the book Iron Man with and for the legendary Chicago Cubs catcher, Randy Hundley. So you're going to be hearing about it th- today and then probably next week, and then I'll kind of slack off because we got a big book launch coming up. And hopefully I'll have books at that point. So let me start with that. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men, as it's been said, been working on this book for a year, a lot of blood, sweat, and a few tears, quite frankly, because it's a pretty emotional project. And uh, come to find out through some publishing delays uh, and production delays that uh, it's 50-50 that there are books at a book launch after a year's worth of work. So what I did get was the author's proof. And that is kind of the subject of the podcast. And that's so much about the literary piece of it, which is obvious to most of us listening and doing this show right now that it's a physical book I get, but it's the proof. It is not final. And the proof can still have typos and errors and things that need to be adjusted. And so every book I've ever done, that's the process. You're writing for a certain amount of time. Some take a lot longer than others. This is, like I said, about a year. There's been this inside urgency, for lack of a better term for me, to get this done for reasons I'm still not real clear on, but that's okay. I've kind of inner driven on this. And uh, this needed to get done. And it is. About 99%. So there's a satisfaction in that. You know, I, I waited yesterday like a kid for the ice cream truck in the middle of summer. Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Is that a noise? Did somebody ring the doorbell? Was there a door knocker? What was that? And even though there's tracking on it, it was supposed to be here between 8.30 and 12.30 yesterday in the morning. And that didn't happen. So once we got past 12.30, I'm like, all right, now what's going on here? Because there's a time, I'm working back from August 20th. Every little minute in my brain says it's a delay. And when I'm writing, I have total control (laughs) over that process. When I come in here, how long I sit and write, what comes out, all that's under my control. Once I send it to layout and... Jennifer Geist does an incredible job for me in layout. She lays the whole, then it's out of my hand. She lays the whole thing out. Then she sends it back to me. And this goes back and forth 10, 15 times maybe to get it where I think it needs to be, what, how it's supposed to look and all that stuff. And when I saw the cover yesterday, I about fell out of my chair. It, uh, it captures really, I think, the essence of the book, which is called Iron Man, Legendary Chicago Cubs Catcher by Randy Hundley. And it's this image of him, which you will all see at some point, and hopefully you'll buy the book, of him getting ready to throw it out at second base at Wrigley Field, probably 1968, 
You know, it is just the it is the essence of who this guy was on the field. And I must have gone through 300 photographs looking for the right one. And I found this one actually in an old file that I had. For some reason, I had this picture probably from five years ago. Oh, that's it. Well, then the challenge of trying to find out who owns the picture and all that goes along with it. And, and the image you see on the cover is not how it started. There was an umpire in there and it was, a, it was autographed picture by him. And so this was something that was posted by somebody on the internet years ago. I could not find the source no matter how I tried. So it's an unknown source credit. And, but, but it showed up when I opened up the package. I thought, wow, amazing to me. The back cover is a, a pretty famous play in baseball history where uh, Randy tagged out Tommy Agee of the Mets in Shea Stadium and they called Agee safe and Hundley was just bent. So that's on the back cover. But anyway, this thing shows up at like 3.30 yesterday. I'm, we're getting ready to go to a, a ball game last night and I have to pull the trigger on getting this thing approved for layout. And again, every second to me is like delay, delay, delay. Of course, delay doesn't mean denial. It just means delay. So I got the book, tear off the cover. It's like Christmas for me. And looking at everything I've worked on is a bit jarring. I've been watching this book unfold on my computer for a year. And it looks very different on a computer than it does in my hand. And, and, and to hold the physical, the, the tactile sensation of a, of a book fr that came from nothing, came from nothing into something is nothing short of magical to me. It's right up there with flipping a switch and people in Brisbane, Australia can listen to me because of technology. So back in the day, you know, the traditional, you can't see the finger quotes. Can you see them? They're right here. The finger quotes are saying the traditional publishings back in the day, you know, I could never have created this. You, you'd had to be a, an author and then have an agent and then send it hopefully to, to a publisher who hopefully would take your book. That's how my first two books were done. It's an interesting uh, route that Living Uncommon Life even got published. I wrote the book in 2004 and in five, started rolling into 2006. I had taken time off the radio. I donated a kidney to my daughter in 02. I went back on the air. And then I need time off. And as I was rolling out of that, I started rolling into this writing thing. And it was about the people who had influenced me at that time, 21 extraordinary people who, um, by their mere presence and being on my shows and all the kind of our friendships, whatever it might have been, I started looking at that. And that became a book. And at that same time, I had started heading in the direction of Harpo uh, to work with Oprah on the, the radio thing. And uh, it was just kind of this convergence happening, much of which I didn't see right away, which is probably for the best. And I had an agent, the same agent Dr. Phil has and a couple other big hoo-hahs. And I think it was between 28 and 38, I don't recall the exact number, rejections of the book, which was sent out in a manuscript form. And most of the rejections weren't because, listen, it's a shit box of a book and we'd never published. There was nothing like that. It was more about his timing's not right. This isn't right for our publishing house. There's all these little nuances. And it was only because a, a woman, um, Dr. Betty Youngs, who, I don't know how many books Betty's put out, 14, 15, 1,000, who knows, uh, said, well, send it to me. Let me take a look at the manuscript, see if we can tune that up in order to get a bite on it. And she's great. So again, this is 0405 going into 06. And that's a long span of time. I'm sorry, but it's getting a little late in the game for this kid. So I don't remember the exact date. So don't hold me to that. And 
I sent her the manuscript in about, you know, bound, living in a common life, essential lessons from 21 extraordinary people. And um, the next night, that's sitting on her coffee table as Jack Jennings, who was the publisher of Hampton Roads at the time, goes to her house for dinner in L.A. or San Diego, wherever she was at. And he goes, what's this? She goes, oh, it's a friend of mine who's looking to get that book published. He starts going through the book. He goes, damn, I'll publish this. He didn't know I was headed towards Harpo, the biggest platform for selling books on the planet back then. He liked the book. He liked the content. I got a two-book deal. It took me another eight, nine months to finish the book from the original form I started with. Back then, I was living in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Computers were the size of Volkswagens. You know, I had this huge monitor and keyboard clicking away. And I'll never forget, as my family slept, we were living in a small trailer house for, we lived there nine years. It was like a castle to us because we were, you know, it was just the way things rolled out. After spending a year living in a motel and walking from the Upper Peninsula to Chicago and back, all of which you can read about in Living an Uncommon Life and Every Moment Matters and Phenomenon, my three books. And uh, I'd be clicking away at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Just me and the cat, clicking away. The thing got finished. I head to Harpo. The book gets published. And uh, Catherine Cryer, one of my journalistic heroes, Judge Catherine Cryer, who's just fantastic, wrote the forward of the book. And there's original illustrations in there. A friend of mine, Pat Hardwick's, I think her like ne- nephew, I believe, or somebody she's connected to, was an illustrator. And he, every person in the book, those 21 people, he illustrated an original piece of pencil artwork for that. And they're all in the book. I mean, all this stuff comes together and just happens. And of course, the convergence was by the time I got to Harpo, I'm ready to publish a book. And Harpo Legal says, nay, nay, you will not publish a book because now you work at the largest, you know, entertainment platform in the world. We need to go through it. And there's a chapter in there about Oprah. And it was nothing nefarious or bad. I mean, I already knew her a little bit from, you know, an incident or I should say an accident and an incident. Uh, on a cruise ship in 1986 where I first met her long before I was, you know, I mean, 20 years later, I met working there. I mean, how does that work? I don't know. So they go through the book eventually and they say, just change this, change this. And you can, okay, so we do that. The book came out in 07, which was a year after I started at Harpo and it sold a shitload of copies, kids. Now, not because I'm John Steinbeck or anything like that, but I had the platform. And when you have a platform that size, you're happy, the publisher's happy, and everybody's happy. We go to really big dinners and buy stuff we can't afford any other time and and live like kings and queens. It was a great experience. It also taught me a lot about publishing. So I had this two-book deal, and uh, the second book came out in 2010. By now, I'd been well-seasoned at Harpo, so getting it done was not a big deal. Uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz, my friend who I think he ran for politics, political office recently. I don't know how that went. (laughs) Uh, He wrote the forward to the book and we had worked together for four years and it it was great. And that did really, really well. Now that came out in paperback first. The hardcover is like your one-off. It's your ego trip. My picture's on the cover of the book for Living an Uncommon Life. It is not on the second one. Even though I had a photographer take some really great pictures I thought would work, they went in a different direction. So all along this time, what I didn't realize is while I am being coming an author and recognized in that field, I was learning the business of publishing, how to do it and how not to do it, which all plays out later, right? So as technology has changed, somehow, I don't even know 
what the universal cosmic plan is, I end up becoming a literary coach, someone who does revisions for books, and a ghostwriter, as I've done with Randy's book. Even though my name's on the cover, uh, ghostwriting you don't usually see about anybody, but I, I wrote the book and my name goes in there. And he, we collaborated. He sat and talked for hours about his life. And I took those words and I move them in a direction and, and put them in, in some semblance of order that hopefully makes sense for the reader. I tell people all the time, I'm not qualified to do any of this shit. The people that know me, like, he can barely get his knuckles off the ground most days. And I'm not going to disagree with him. But uh, it has just been a, a surprise after surprise after surprise delighting me to do this work um, for people like Randy. Uh, and so when I add this book to the shelf, I've written three of my own, six for others. That's nine books. And I've done this all within about, you know, the, the book part for ghostwriting and, and revising and all that stuff. That's been in the last nine years. The other ones, you know, over time. But uh, I, I'm fascinated by this. I just, it just it keeps me a little verklempt because how does this happen to a guy like me? I'm sitting here looking at this author's proof, once again, just delighted that this was created. In such, a year's nothing when it comes to writing books. I still have two or three fiction things I've been working at for five years. Then I get busy doing this other stuff. So, you know, I try to go back and, and work on that at some point. But it went from nothing to something in a year. It went from a concept, having breakfast with Randy, talking about it, and then starting to write a year ago tomorrow, August 6th, to sitting on my desk here in form of an author's proof. It, again, it's not finalized, but it's as close as it gets. And across the room in my studio is Randy Hundley's Gold Glove from 1967. We're taking it to the book launch along with a box of all these pictures of him across the ages from his, his library and archives. And for me, a kid who used to wait on the corner for the guy's autograph, are you shitting me? Come on. I don't know how this happens, and I'm just glad that it does. But the other part of this author's proof, I mean, outside of learning the publishing business and how these things work, I mentioned before about selling so many books with Harpo because I had a huge platform. Randy Hunley, as great as he was on the field and as revered as he is as Chicago Cub, uh, would never get a publishing deal. You know, I mean, not to any extent where they're going to give somebody like him a bunch of money and then, like it was for me, I got an upfront money and you sell lots of copies. He, the man's 81 years old. He does not have a platform. He barely answers his phone. You know, so for me, that, that doesn't work. So what we had to do is, here's this other route. Here's a way for me to honor his legacy, help him tell his story. This is in book form. Cub fans are going to eat it up and I'm going to sleep well. And so will he. And that's, that's really cool. But the other part of this author's proof thing is the constant going back and forth to find errors. And the process of writing to me is like just throwing up on the paper over and over and over and over again. And then going back and cleaning it up and throwing up again. And this goes on and back and forth. So the original writing of the chapters, I know, never know how long the book is going to be. This one's just over 200 pages, which is perfect for, for what we're talking about. I have no idea where it's going to go, What? none of that. My job is to be the conduit for this stuff, let it go through. So the book rolls out of 12 chapters. I could have made this book twice as long and padded it, but what's the point? It would have cost more, and that's not what this is about. So over and over and over again, looking at this, I basically know it by heart at this point. I know we're all, I miss, you know, periods are missed here, and a comma shouldn't be here, and all that kind of stuff. But it can't help not remind me of life. It just doesn't. How many times I've reviewed my life 
over and over and over again, looking for something I missed or something that needs to be changed or seeing something different than it was. Most of this book, probably the first three quarters of this of Randy's book is about stuff from over a half century ago from the 1960s, a little bit in the 50s, but mostly the 60s and 70s. I was a kid. How I saw the world at that time is not how Randy Hunley saw the world at that time, right? So going back and spending all this time in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s had me really reassessing my life. What was going on in the world? What, but I was a kid, you know, you, you know, you see what you see. But I know Vietnam, my cousin Rich the Sarge was there. We all hoped he would come home and he did. He's been fighting Agent Orge ever since. Um, but it really brought the, the, the what I want to say, the, the visceral nitty-gritty part of, of that time back to me and had me reassessing and looking at it, even at the age of 10, or 11, or 12. So this is a, a bit of a shorter podcast. I got some stuff I got to get to today, but it was on my mind that it's important on some level to create your own author's proof because your life is your book and your book is your life. And I tell people all the time, like, oh, I want to write a book. Well, yeah, okay, that's great. But do you have two, three, four years to do it? I mean, whatever. Even if you do it, get it out. I always say, when in doubt, write it out. Even if no one ever sees your life in paper or print, do it. Sit there and write about how your life was and, and the things that you, maybe you remember and things you don't remember and how things change over time. Writing is cathartic. It, something happens in the brain, I'm telling you. A, a switch opens up. When I work with people, and here's your freebie literary coach advice. When people come to me and they say, I don't even know where to start. I say, well, you have to start at the very beginning. And I give them this example to say, once upon a time. Everybody knows that. Sit down and write, once upon a time, John did this. Once upon a time, so-and-so did this. And you'd be astounded at what comes out. You can do it in long form, you know, longhand. Does anybody use cursive anymore? I don't know. I tend to print more than I do anything else. Of course, I'm on a keyboard all day, not musically, on a computer. And whatever it is, just do that. Open up the gates. Let this stuff come out. And while everybody can write or their, their, their story obviously could be put down on paper, it doesn't mean, as I said, the whole world needs to read it. Maybe you just need to see it. So I can tell you, Randy has not seen this author's proof yet. I can't wait to see the look on his face. This is a guy who's wanted to have a book for years. I didn't realize that till he told me that. I mean, why would I think that? And here it is. So when I go out to see him and I go, here it is, coach. Here's the book. Uh, I did it for him. And I did it for me. And I did it for all the Cubs fans that love this guy and the team and the legacy and that time. And so when the book launch happens in a few weeks, whether we have books or not, we have a contingency plan for that. Um, the room's going to light up. 150, 200 people are going to be there to, to celebrate his life with him while he's still here, number one. And number two, that in print, there's evidence of his achievements and his accomplishments and his presence, especially in the game of baseball. And I cannot, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a little talk, I suppose, that day, a little bit of connection to all this and recap some of what I said here. Maybe I'm also think I'm going to, I'm going to read the afterword of the book that I wrote, uh, to the crowd that's there. But this is all so magical to me as I started in the beginning of this. And uh, I don't think it's supposed to sink in and become a reality. The whole thing is already a dream. 
you can't tell me because inside the 10 year old butch that's in there he's like this is the best coolest keenest most awesome unbelievable thing that's ever happened to me that the same guy who i waited on the corner in the rain in 1970 pulled up in a red corvette and i got in the passenger seat and he signed my glove and a piece of paper and a hat or something and then i went home and i and i slept with that mitt as a as my pillow that night autograph mitt that all these decades later, I pull up to his house and that red Corvette's still in the frickin' driveway? That is the field of dreams right there. That's for sure. Find your own author's proof. You're the author of your life, like it or not. When in doubt, write it out. You never know what might happen. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Oh, a little music on the way out today. Uh, my, sorry, I almost missed this. Um, I was getting ready for the big send-off. have to redo that. But uh, Playing for Change is one of my favorite organizations. I contribute to them every year. And Playing for Change basically brings p- music to, to kids all over the world that wouldn't have a chance to be part of music. So they, they go back and revisit some incredible old standards musically, and they update and upgrade them with the original artists if possible. But they also have musicians from all over the world uh, doing the song. It's an unbelievable production effort, that is for sure. So on the way out, here's the OJs in Love Train, but with a lot of help around them. So now, enjoy the music. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.